It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Speaking of uh, Venezuela, among many other countries, broken by the evils of dictatorial regimes, whether directly communist or more closely related to communism, it's an uh, apt moment to go to my next guest, Ambassador Andrew Bremberg, uh, president of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Uh, Some things of note, Ambassador, in the recent news, if you will. You have, for instance, the city of Boston that once denied a municipal uh, raising of a flag for a Christian flag, but would easily raise the flag of the People's Republic of China. What's not often getting reported, the amount of Cubans that have fled Cuba through Mexico, risking uh, illegal entry into the United States, they're fleeing communism, their method of flight, but the number larger than the Mariel boat lift at somewhere around 140,000 estimated Cubans fleeing that country in some form. So let's dive into this from a historical perspective to where we are today. If there is, and there have been many debates about this, what would be a number or a close number of the victims of communism worldwide? Well, thank you for having me on today. And you start exactly at the right point, I think, which is focusing on who have been the victims of communism over the last century. And if you look at the academic literature and studies, you see that there have been now estimated to be over 100 million who have been murdered by communist regimes around the world over the course of the last 100 years. You know, the, the two greatest mass murderers in all of human history are Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin, each of whom during their you know, brutal you know, reign um, murdered tens of millions of, of their own citizens or, or, or those from neighboring countries. Um, and then importantly, we also focus on here at the Victims of Communism Foundation, not only the memory of the 100 million murdered by these regimes, but still today, as you pointed out, the 1.5 billion people who still live under communism today. You know, the debate comes up at times, and uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but at one point I actually attended the communist uh, group meetings in New York City. I wanted to see what they were doing. Uh, That ended after a while when they figured out I wasn't there to join them. But they were working for their cause. That's the way I put it. They were promoting it. They believe in a new this time it will work communism. Now, you know, on its surface, I think many Americans would say, well, no, come on, that's not going to grow in America. But in fact, they have active work in political parties like the Working Families Party, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, PSL and others working to elect officials. They're pushing this uh, 21st century communism. And in like fashion on that scale, you mentioned about China. China is exhibiting various forms of influence uh, under the CCP banner, whether it's the debt trap, read investments around the world, uh, purchasing influence and power. Uh, and this is going on in small Caribbean islands and right here in America. 
Oh, without a doubt. When, when I served as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations in Geneva, it was stunning to me to see the real um, aggression and decided purpose uh, that the Chinese government has now put forward in terms of how they are trying to spread their reach and influence around the world and here into the United States, um, which was just very, um, frankly, terrifying to see, particularly how um, how little response that was getting from other countries and, and, and even parts of the United States to that. So, so when I left government, that's what motivated me to come here to the Victims of Communism Foundation to do everything we can to educate Americans about the communism, both its crimes in the past, but also those still taking place around the world today. You know, I think of those who could help this, and I'll use a friend of mine as an example. Uh, he survived uh survived Nazism. He survived communism in Hungary. He, he has seen this change from two dictatorial regimes, and now he sees a growing leftist movement worldwide, which, if it continues down its path, and it has in some countries, leads to change. I look at Latin America, for example, and at a recent conference where there were former ambassadors like yourself and others, uh, party leaders, officials. Uh, when you look at these countries, Peru, Chile, you look at the growing movements, Honduras, uh, what recently happened in, uh, in the elections in Colombia, there's a wave, maybe not a big wave, but there's a consistent wave. How do you educate and at the same time, wake people up, because if there's not an effort to stop this, it will keep going. No, exactly. I mean, a point you touched on before of the, the, the potential sympathy, particularly among younger Americans, for the idea of communism or this kind of idea that, well, maybe it hasn't been tried right before. What we've seen is what is essential is that they are genuinely, and this is unfortunate, I mean, this, this is a, you know, a failure on behalf of the United States, our kind of country, our, our society. They have never been informed of the terrible victimization of humanity at the hands of communism over the last century. So very basic facts to, so that they understand. So then when they're pressed with this idea of, oh, doesn't this sound like you know, e e equality for all? This sounds like a great idea. And if this is what communism is promising, that doesn't that sound good? But they have to understand and learn the basic facts that everywhere it has been tried, it has left a trail of you know, murder and mass repression of millions and millions of people. And you learning the personal stories, like, like one example you were just referencing, of people who have actually lived or escaped under these communist totalitarian regimes to tell people about their personal experiences we found to be incredibly powerful in helping shape younger people's minds and understandings of communism and kind of you know, immediately um, they exhibit you know, a strong revulsion for these ideas. Like, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't want anything like this. I mean, this is horrible in terms of these the, the brutal crimes, the level of surveillance, oppression, what's going on under these regimes. And we can talk about both those in the past in Central and Eastern Europe under the Soviets, for, but also those today under the Chinese Communist Party or what we see in Cuba and Venezuela, and now, as you just mentioned, trying to spread throughout Latin America. Um, and, and, and the real consequences for real people and their individual lives and what they have to suffer through, that's what I think is most compelling uh, to young people today to understand, whoa, this really is an evil ideology. Uh, the move, the 
effort, the movement, uh, whatever term really fits uh, for communism, you know, again, puts out that attractive ideal for many young people. Mm -hmm. And let's not kid ourselves. There are the what I would call the leftover communists from the Soviet era, the Cold War era working. So there's a, a generational uh, not only a gap, but a consistency from one generation to the other. Some specific areas that don't get attention. And, you know, while you talk about the total numbers worldwide, I'll, I'll reference one continent. And, and, and I'm curious to get your view of this. Communism, first of all, does not care about ethnicity whether you're black, whether right. you're white, or any other ethnicity, uh, self-identified, blended, doesn't matter. Communism doesn't care, but it uses, case in point, uh, Black Lives Matter Global Foundation with huge influence among some blacks, not all in this country, but too many, uh, is a communist organization. Their uh, founders, Patrice Colors, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, with Nicolas Maduro, their videos, their statements, their interviews for all to see out there, stating that they're trained Marxists. And many in this country, and I'll start again, while they don't care about ethnicities, many blacks fall under that umbrella going along with a communist effort. And I think many don't recognize it. But then I take it to Africa, and that gets brought into the conversation. Communism is in part along with other issues, colonialism and China, a big player, and Islamism, a separate issue. But communism has helped to keep Africa in a subjugated state economically, culturally, and otherwise. How does, does the world not recognize that? Well, certainly, I mean, in Africa, particularly uh, in the 1970s, you had waves of communist re revolution taking place. And again, in those instances, you saw, again, trails of massive death, murder, and huge economic destruction. Um, and, and of course, Africa has continued to struggle today, you know, economically recovering from some of those periods. But as you also mentioned, now are falling into these you know, debt traps and relationships with the Chinese Communist Party. I, I would just also add that um, you're closer to home here, closer to the United States, you know, just, just over in Cuba, the, the incredible repression happening under the dictatorship now. I mean, in, in 2021, 2022, you know, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the largest protests, protests happening across Cuba in decades, just last summer, which has mostly been led by Afro-Cuban dissidents and artists. And so, so that while communists, as you said, didn't care about um, race issues, but some of the most prominent and biggest victims of communism have been throughout history, and we see it even still today, you know, ethnic and racial minorities, whether it is you know, Afro-Cubans in Cuba, those uh, the, the Uyghurs who are Muslim minority, ethnic minorities in Western China, in, in terms of the incredible repression having place in Xinjiang, these you know, massive concentration camps. That our, our organization recently published the Xinjiang police files, the first documents of their kind, tens of thousands of documents from a hack of Chinese police state computers, showing the first photos ever from inside the camps. Um, so all of these stories are so incredibly important um, that young people need to learn and understand so that we don't either you know, fall prey to the allure of communism and also that we stiffen our spine and recognize we need to come back and confront these evil communist regimes that are still you know, terrorizing parts of the world today. 
My guest, Ambassador Andrew Bremberg, president of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. You know, as we're having this conversation, another thought comes to mind. And it's a year that I want to ask you to give us a perspective uh, uh, perspective on. The year is 1921. In 1921, there was an expansion of efforts to build political parties and political efforts. For example, in 1921, the first official party in Africa was in Rhodesia at the time uh, for the communists. Here in the United States, the foundation of the Democratic Socialists or Democrat Socialists of America, DSA. And around the world, we see common threads in periods of time. So whether it's early 21, late 21, or around that. That history's there, and it, it's missing, uh, deliberately omitted or otherwise. I think we need that effort to put the history and the track together to go along with the 100 years of communism. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to thank you for bringing that up, because that is actually a specific element addressed in our brand-new Victims of Communism Museum that we have just opened here in Washington uh, on January 13th, just, just two blocks from the White House. Um, I encourage you know, everyone to come visit. Um, I'll just address this point you raised. Part of our exhibit, we uh, go through and explain how right from the beginning, and actually even predating 1921, right in the 1919 and 1920 period, Lenin, in his new takeover of Russia, which is immediately is a bloody revolution and terrorizes his own people, but immediately turns global to support communist parties and communist uprisings throughout around the world, uh, most specifically even um, revolts and uprisings in both Hungary and Germany to try to spread communism, which again doesn't succeed initially in those cases, um, but then spurs his aggressive invasion of the Red Army to Central and Eastern Europe, predominantly in Poland, um, right there in 1920, as you said, um, to, tr- to again try to spread communism. Now, at the time, thankfully, they were defeated. The Poles withstood and they, they fell back and, of course, helped protect the Central and Eastern Europe from the you know, tide of communism for at least you know, the next two decades until, you know, in cooperation with you know, Hitler, Stalin would you know, partition much of Europe. How, and by the way, I always thank you for your efforts. It's important to know that, but how can we expose more people? I I know there's media, there's lots of efforts out there, but, but, you know, the classroom concerns me, the teaching of civics and structures in government, of systems of government, so people can draw the contrast for themselves. Uh, But this, this is a huge challenge, and in part technology, along with perversion of the education system by direct uh, rewriting of history or omission of history has been effective for the left. Yes. So we have focused our our resources on two primary ways of help educating young people. One, this brand new museum that I mentioned that is just now opened here in Washington. We want to encourage people to come see. Our website for the museum is vocmuseum.org. So please see that. But then the classrooms is where this is taking place, or where I say where this is not taking place, where the education of understanding about communism and its victims has just been totally absent. So we have created a curricular resource. We're creating a new web-based curricular resource that will be available soon in schools so that teachers and students on their own can access this material and learn about this information. But I want to say we know that that's not enough 
just creating the material. We have to make sure it gets used, So, which is why we've been so active in states and are thrilled that the state of Florida has passed and several other states are working to pass legislation that requires that as part of their civics or history or their high school and various parts of their education are required to learn about the victims of communism. So this was a bill that was just passed last year in Florida. We're working with the state to help help them implement it. And as, as I said, we're working with other states to provide them assistance as they look forward to providing or requiring the same type of curricula re- requirements in their schools. Uh, Ambassador, uh, uh, I guess an exit question for this purpose, we'll be talking again. Believe me, I, I am sure of that. Uh, the human rights issue for everyone listening, uh, you know, the understanding is needed, in my opinion, that uh, this is a in many forms, whether Uyghurs in China, mm-hmm. uh Venezuela, Cuba, Africa, for that matter, anywhere. The human rights issue, we we hear the cries from many of, we believe in human rights, but communism more than any other regime by the numbers and the length of time in its history has been the biggest violator of human rights. That that is absolutely true. And in in my experience when I was serving as the U.S. ambassador, I had the... um, opportunity or you might say misfortune opportunity uh, to work with the UN's high commissioner for human rights, where, I mean, this sounds like an important position focused solely on human rights. And it was constantly just disappointing um, that, you know, on behalf of the United States, pressing this office, uh, the, the commissioner's name is Michelle Bachelet. Fortunately, she had just recently announced that she will no longer serve there at the end of the, the, the summer. She's not seeking another term after her embarrassingly I'd say disastrous trip to China, where she basically mouthed you know, Chinese propaganda on behalf of the regime, rather than speaking the truth about the gross human rights violations. But I think you touch on a really important point that all of us care about human rights, and it motivates us our views towards liberty and freedom, and why like, why those things are so important because they're the most essential elements of actually protecting human rights, and that the communist regimes, both in the past and importantly, still today. Happening today, whether it is China with you know, millions of people in concentration camps or what is happening in Cuba or Venezuela, um, are committing the most heinous human rights violations and need to be held accountable. And Americans don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, Americans of, of all political stripes, I think, abhor those types of human rights abuses, but too many are unaware of it and are, you know, kind of um, unfortunately, you know, happy to be you know, ignorant and not have to face the reality that. If we care about our values, we have to stand against this type of communist oppression. Ambassador, thank you very much. Uh, When I'm in D.C. shortly, I'll be visiting the museum. Thank you. Can't wait to host you. Thank you. Thank you. Ambassador Andrew Bremberg, president of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Uh, Their website, victimsofcommunism.org. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.